Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, Raider Nation. To Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Monday. You are in the huddle. Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador. It is April. And you know what that means? You know what April means on the NFL? Of course it means the draft, and the draft is going to be in Las Vegas. And we have some things to say about the draft uh, throughout the show. Drove by the strip earlier today, Damon, and uh, they were busy getting things done, getting things set up uh, over at the draft. It's going to be behind the in the parking lot behind the link and the high roller over by the... Um, was it the the uh, the forum uh, shops and all that? And uh, it's 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 going to be unbelievable. And no, they're not going to have the players boat over to the commissioner uh, over at the Bellagio. However, the Bellagio will be utilized um, as the red carpet. It's kind of like a floating red carpet, Damon. And I know that's your thing, the red carpet. Oh yeah, I want to see what the players are wearing, but I don't want to. A floating red carpet? It's it's that's the concept as it see, was explained yeah, to me. That sounds a little too highbrow for me. You know the NFL. You know, oh, there's nothing too highbrow for you, Demond. Come on, wrong, man, you're a trendsetter. Wrong, one wrong step, somebody's in the water. Well, that's why they're athletic <laughs> and first round picks because <laughs> well, they can keep their feet. Maybe it's not the players. Maybe it's the agent. It or could be. It could maybe. or the boat. I mean, it's a it's a walking. I mean, I'm sure it'll be. I don't know. I am I'm not interested. trying to make light of this, but we saw at the Super Bowl parade with the photographer. Oh yeah. See. Let, oh gosh, <laughs> that whole thing. That but whole any, thing. But I say that to say this. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. And we've seen In it tight before. Quarters. By the way, um, here's the thing. We're speaking about the red carpet. By the way, you're in the huddle, of course. Radio Nation Radio 920 AM on a Monday. Uh, Demond Cotton. Obviously, the red carpet, we see it with the, um, especially in the NBA, when we're talking about sports red carpet, not red carpet, red carpet, uh, that you see at some of the awards shows. But we all know that uh, today's male athlete and, you know, athlete in general, they want to look good. And I give them a lot of credit for the style that they um, are, 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 you know, the undertaking and trying to look stylish and, and set the trend and all that. I'm all about that. I'm not, those days are done for me. But uh, I could appreciate the new styles. However, did you see Justin Bieber yesterday? Yes, I did. Okay, what is going on with that? And I have to say this. I love Kyle Kuzma, the former Laker. But a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, on Twitter, there was a photo of him walking into a game, and he was he was he was on the baggy look. Is that what it? What is that look called? First of all, where it's hanging down people's arms and legs. It just looks ridiculous. But um. Justin Bieber was on the 2003 NBA draft suit look. That's yeah, yeah. all. And uh, and that on steroids. Let's just say that it's on steroids. Here's the thing that I'm not grasping. What's the deal with the sleeves that go well beyond the hands? Have you seen it? Did you see the? Yes, I've seen it. What is that? I mean, is there is who's 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 pushing that? Is there a particular designer that's doing it? And I why? Don't know. What, it's what just are we trying the to trend. hide? It's the trend. Yeah, baby. but I mean, okay. Are I you? Don't, I hey, I am. Do you not, like it? If I had the money to afford these clothing items, yes, I'd be wearing them too. Yes, that's so what you I'm like saying. It. Yes, you like it. Yes, I, I'm not feeling that one. Like, I'm, of course, if I had the money, there would be all kinds of styles that I would like to try to pull off. You know what I'm saying? But that one looks a little bit. Let's put it to the callers. Come let's, on, Vinny. That just that just shows that you just don't get it. 
I don't get that. You just don't get it. I'm, I'm admitting you're old, that. You're That's, I'm, I'm, I'm admitting. No, no, no. I have, I have uh, particular likes and dislikes. I have an opinion. I have an opinion. I'm, I, I, I deserve to have an opinion, and uh, I have every right to my opinion. We'll, we'll put it out there. Seven zero two three six five ninety two hundred. The draft is coming to Las Vegas. Part of the draft is a red carpet. We see the uh, the styles in the NBA. I've seen the, the all the trends, and I'm I'm down with how uh, the NBA uh, pulls it off, and 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 their players pull it off. It's been really classy, and and so have the NFL. I have to admit. However, if I see somebody wearing what Justin Bieber was wearing yesterday at the Grammys here in Las Vegas, the entertainment capital of the world, I'm gonna. I have some questions, I, and I have a right to those questions. So I'm gonna throw it out to the callers: seven zero two three six five ninety two hundred. Is that good with you? I know fashion is always pushing the envelope, and I'm down for that. I always have been. But there are some things that just kind of look ridiculous, and I thought that that particular look looks ridiculous. So 702-365-9200, give us a call and let us know what your thoughts are on that latest trend. I don't even know what it's called. Maybe DeMond can come up with Maybe there's a word. Maybe there's something I'm missing. Maybe there's something that they're trying to pull off that I'm not grasping. I'll give you all of that. But it just doesn't look very good. All right, so we went off on that tangent. But you know what else April is about? It's about the NFL and their teams starting their offseason program. Oh, my gosh, we're there already. It feels like the season is right around the corner because it is. And April always marks the first phase of OTAs, and I am all about that. Heck, the Miami Dolphins, the Chicago Bears, among others, Already started today. So our good friend Alec Ingold is in somewhere in Florida getting down with the Dolphins. And uh, good luck to Alec Ingold. I think he always will have a special place in the hearts of uh, Raider Nation, and rightfully so. Uh, The Chicago Bears, the Miami Dolphins, why is that? Well, if you have a new coach, you get to start a week earlier. uh, Or you get to start this week. Why aren't the Raiders doing that? They have a new coach, right? Josh McDaniels is the new coach. How come they aren't starting today? They don't want to. They want to start on, uh, I think it's the uh, 11th. Next Monday is when the Raiders get together over at the practice facility in Henderson to get the new year started off. And I always feel, Damon, because I have to do this myself. I've been doing this a long time, Damon Cotton. And I always have to check my notes. What? Wait, okay, OTAs, how does it all work? How does the schedule work out and all that? Because we hear OTAs, we hear off-season program. What does it mean? Do you have any questions about it, Damon? Um, yes, that the fact that the Raiders are starting next week and some teams with new head coaches are, are starting today, that was just a matter of preference? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when we were in Florida, Josh McDaniels said, eh, eh, that's what we want to start. Okay, so there are a couple of, uh, there are a bunch of new coaches this year, by the way. I think it's 10. New coaches? Yeah, 10 new coaches. That's a lot, right? Yes. In a 32-team league, 32 team league, yeah, that's actually a whole lot. So um, you get to start a little bit earlier than teams that are carrying over uh, their head coach. So uh, for whatever reason, that was what he felt comfortable with. Uh, Josh McDaniels, so the Raiders get get started uh, next week on the 11th. The Bears and Dolphins, a couple other teams, I think, t- uh, started today as well. Um, but so what is the offseason program? What the heck? Is it voluntary? Is it do you have to be there? Um, no and yes, I would say. <laughs> no and yes. You don't have to be there, but it's usually in your best interest to be there. Unless, like last year we saw with Unique Ngakwe, he had kind of a unique way of wanting to get ready last year. And he gave a call to Mike Mayock and John Gruden and said, hey, guys, there's, don't have any doubts that I'm not going to show up ready to go. And he did. And you remember what happened um, last season with David Irving. 
Well, and I remember people were jumping down my throat because I said, hey, it was supposed to be voluntary. And David Irving got cut. Do not go down. Don't don't die on the uh, David Irving. <laughs> I heard some things. But I'm just going to say. Anyway, yes, here's the thing in life. I'm not, I'm not here's the thing in life. one way or the other, but he was one well, of those I'll guys tell that you thought, what, he, hey, I don't need to go. It's just yeah, voluntary. Yes. And they said, nah, buddy, you're not that good. Exactly. Well, no, not only that. It's not only just good. It's track record. If you, he's had David Irving had a history of just letting everybody down all the time. Like there's no trust. Life is about creating a trust factor with people. Unique Ngakwe, second to none, professional as they come. Yes, he's never been a problem. He's always showed up on time. He's always been in tremendous shape. He deserved and and earned the right to say, you know what, I got this covered. I'll be there ready to rock and roll when it's not voluntary. Guys like David Irving, they're like, you're not worth the trouble, brother, because you've always been a mess. So goodbye. See you later. So that's what how life works. It's not all. E- yes, it's all equal. You make it equal. You work But he your probably butt- would have been able to stick around for a couple of more weeks he- if he went to those voluntary like days. Yes, Brilliant, Devon Cotton. Yes, he would have been able to stick around probably, but he's not, you know, guys like that just aren't worth it because they've never proven to be trustworthy. That's what life is all about. That's what life is all about. You earn the trust. You put the work in. Um, you develop a, uh, you know, a confidence level with your bosses and all that. Trust me, that's how life works. And if you're going to complain about it, that that's on you. That's on you. Anyway, so it is voluntary, but it isn't voluntary. You probably want to show up, and most guys want to show up because most guys, especially with the way the NFL is getting younger and younger and younger and younger, everyone's trying to earn the next contract. Everyone's trying to, most people anyway, solidify themselves, create a future for themselves, get that second contract, get a starting job, create a role, and especially on the Raiders because I'll tell you this, Damon Cotton, Here's one thing that I took away from Florida. Everything is wide open. Yes, Colton Miller's the left tackle. Derek Carr is going to be the quarterback. Darren Waller is going to be the starting tight end. Hunter Renfro is the starting wide receiver. Devontae Adams is the starting wide receiver. Uh, Max Crosby, Chandler Jones are locked in. You know, there's guys that are locked in. But there's a whole bunch of jobs that are wide, stinking open. When I think it was Josh McDaniel said, yeah, Colton Miller is on the left side. Pause. Nothing else to the right of him. John Simpson, Andre James, Alex Leatherwood, Jermaine Illuminor, Brandon Parker, so on and so forth are all at the very moment on alert. You better bring your competitive juices and they better be overflowing beginning next week. Because nothing is guaranteed, no job, no role, no niche, whatever you want to call it. It's wide open. Guys like Clee Farrell, a new slate, a completely clean slate for a guy like Clee Farrell, a guy like Amik Robertson, a guy like uh, Jonathan Amber maybe to change some narratives. There's guys that can change narratives, earn jobs, lose jobs over the next few months nothing is guaranteed yes there's some givens without question we all get that we all understand that but there's also a lot of hey we're not going to put a whole lot of credence into what happened before we showed up we being 
Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler and all the decision makers and the, all the assistant coaches, it's going to be, and this is the best way, this is the only way, it's going to be about what happens from this point forward. We have all now entered a circle together. Whatever you did before uh, this particular circle enclosed around everybody that's in that building now is out the door. Yes, there's going to be some credence put on it, of course. But for guys like John Simpson and Andre James and David and uh, and and Alex Leatherwood and Brandon Parker and Clee Farrell and Amik Robertson and Trayvon, all of those guys, uh, Demond, they're competing and they're they are fighting for jobs, fighting for roles. And isn't that? Don't you think that's a great way to start off? It's a great way to start off, but I feel like those guys they need to come with a little bit bigger edge when it comes to the Mullins, the Ferrells, where you're, these are not your guys in place, meaning the coaches, and you're not their guys. So I think that that edge, that chip on the shoulder, needs to be even more pronounced, especially for those guys on the defensive end. Because I feel like McDaniels, he knows how he wants to. He's been thinking about it all offseason when he comes to the offensive weapons. But for those guys on the defense, you know, you can't create a first impression. You can't recreate a first impression. So I think that is going to be key. And, and and for guys like Cleve Farrell, it could be a positive because there's also no preconceived notions of eh, from the previous. Like like we somebody that, lost faith. No, but so, the tape is still out there. I don't think it. It still doesn't matter. That's the thing, though. They looked at the tape and they 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 have a pretty good handle on things. But even Josh, as Josh McDaniels talked about Cleve Farrell when I asked him in Florida, hey, we may ask him to do some things differently than he's done before. And guess what? That might actually benefit him. So they're going in. What I'm saying is, and this is how you have to be as a new leader, a new coach, eyes wide open and being open to, even if you have the slightest bit of preconceived notion, you can't bring that to the table. You have to give everybody an opportunity to compete with a clean slate because you never know what might happen, especially if Cleve Farrell, and I'm just throwing the name out there, I'm not guaranteeing anything, but we've seen it before. Guys have um, flourished in a new system, flourished under a new set of eyes. Maybe that new set of eyes creates some confidence um, that maybe he was, maybe he didn't have last year because maybe the previous staff was down on him, whatever. We all react to positivity, and if this staff is positive and gets behind him, who knows what he might be able to do. But the point is, it's... If there, if there was any baggage that Cleve Farrell was carrying over last year from the year before under that system and under those that coaching staff, that's all gone for him. He can just hit the ground running and try to do whatever he can to earn whatever role he can, and that could be a positive for him. I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but I think everybody needs to be on alert that there's an opportunity here with the Raiders to create a job for yourself, to create a niche, a role change whatever narrative was here previously. It's a clean slate, and that's all anybody can ever truly ask for, especially in a situation like this. By the way, if you had some confidence level with the other staff, you got to create that confidence again with this new staff. Life works like that sometimes. We're going to go out to the Realty One Group listener line, and Steven in Monterey is ready to talk about the Raiders and what they've done this offseason. How you doing, Steven? I'm doing good, Vinny. How about you? Doing very good. Thank you. All right, man. So you actually really just led into the question I was about to ask and kind of the topic I wanted to speak about. Okay. 
you know, obviously we've spoken about all the new additions. Like we, you know, harped on it over and over. Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, all that stuff, and that's cool and all. But um, I, I was, you know, to to your point, like, yeah, a lot of these players are getting second chances. We've already seen that Jermaine and Brandon got re-signed. You know, under the under the old coaching staff, who knows if that would have happened, right? Mm-hmm. But right now that that's happening, you're seeing that like you're, you have exactly the right point that uh, they're all getting these chances again and. I kind of wanted to ask you about, like, from you, you spoke on it slightly, but I wanted to see uh, your personal opinion, too. Like, um, what what players do you think will flourish? Like, what returning players that are here now that are, you know, like Hunter Renfro is a great example, right? Everybody says, oh, you know, McDaniels, the slot receiver. You know, he's going to blow up even though he's already great. Imagine what he can do under McDaniels. Uh, and I was just wondering if there are any other returning players that you felt, uh, like we said, right, there's second-chance players already getting goal chances as well. Um, if you think that are going to be, like, just – amazing take the next step forward um on offense or defense you know uh same thing with the defense right well will max crosby maybe take another step right asking him these things that he's never done and you know as obviously we're not new england west i don't really like to use that thing either but um as an example you know they did the best with their players that that they had and a lot of them weren't superstars you know but they really worked them in and and, you know they all played a, a key part in like establishing that team so i just want to know your opinion on which uh returning players that have been there are going to force on offense and defense for, you know, for, uh, you know, for McDaniels. Gotcha. And, uh, yep. new coach. Gotcha. Uh, Steven, great call. Thank you very much. Um, you know, it's interesting. You should ask that question because I had that question for, uh, Josh McDaniels. There were a couple of guys, a handful of guys really that I was like kind of curious about, like, what is your opinion of what have you seen so far? One of them was Malcolm Coons, uh, the outside. I mean, and, and the thing is like, I asked, I asked Josh, um, like, where does he slot in? Is he a linebacker now, or is he still a defensive end? Remember, he was drafted as a defensive end, six foot two, not the biggest defensive end out there, but you know, guys like Unique and Gakwe uh, played at sort of that size, so it can happen. It can work for him. But is he a hand on the ground defensive end? Does he go into the season uh, like that? Or when you look at Malcolm, he might be the perfect fit to be a uh, upright four three linebacker outside rush linebacker. Um, and Josh McDaniels just kind of laughed. He was like, he's an interesting player. So he wasn't going to give it up on what the plans are, but they're very excited to work with him. So he's one guy I think um, will have a chance, I think, to carve out a role. We've talked about Malcolm before. He's got an ability to get to the quarterback. You go back to the college tape, and you don't even have to just look at that. Watch him. Even in the limited time that he was on the field last year for the Raiders, he seemed to always kind of make things happen. He didn't always get a, a, a lot of a chance. He was more on a development side of things. That's okay. There's plenty of time. But he showed enough when he was in there where you're like, huh, you know, he ha- he's got a little something. Curious to see what the new staff has in store for him. Divine Diablo, uh, when he got onto the field last year, we, we knew that Coming from college, coming you know, playing safety at Virginia Tech, that he was going to bring something to the table in terms of a pass coverage guy, and I think that that's going to be in store for him uh, next year. And definitely, Josh McDaniels talked about him and excited to work with him. But what he really kind of stood out last year was his run defense. He he really helped solidify the run defense when he took over for Corey Littleton last year. He was a hound dog chasing down the ball. He was tough. He was big. He's a big, solid player. So uh, the fact that he showed he can already be an asset in run support, and I think as time goes, those skill, those safety skills that he brings to the table are going to help him flourish as a pass defender. So I'm curious to see where 
you know, what he's going to be all about. Amik Robertson. I mean, you just go look at the tape in college, and the guy was a fierce football player. I know he's undersized. And I know that the Raiders have tried a couple of different things, working him in the slot. Didn't quite work out there. Um, last year, he didn't get much of an opportunity uh, to play outside, of course. You know, um, uh, Casey Hayward came in and solidified that job. There wasn't a whole lot of playing time for him. I want to see what he's all about. It's a very young secondary coming up this year, especially at cornerback. And a whole bunch of guys either playing on their last year of their contract, trying to earn another deal, or trying to create a niche for themselves in the, in the case of Amik Robertson. So we'd like to see what uh, what, what he's going to bring to the table and what is in store for him as well. And Cleve Farrell. I, I just want to see what it looks like. You know, you can't it, – it, it's out. He wasn't the fourth best player in that draft. We all get it. We all understand it. But could there be a role for him in a new system like this? This is a drastic, not a drastic new system, but it's his world's going to change uh, going from the 4-3 to the 3-4 and maybe for the better. Back out to uh, the Realty One listener line. Dino is on the line. How you doing, Dino? Hey, Vincent. How you doing? Doing very good, thanks. Uh, you used the word before, trust. And I'm going to put my trust in this front office and this staff, coaching staff, until I'm given a reason not to trust them. Um, I think I've seen, uh, you know, the proof. We we have proof that, you know, Tom Cable was not very capable of putting together a line that would be a highly ranked line. It's not one-year aberration. It was that, you know, year after year after year. They would do certain things okay, but overall the line was never what it should be. Uh, I don't know a lot about Carmen Brasillo. I'm going to put my trust in him. I don't know if you know. Did he work with Dante Scarnecchia is one of my questions. And, you know, the Patriots seem to always have a very solid offensive line without a lot of big-name, high-round draft picks. The one area that I'm really concerned about is the depth at left tackle. If Colton Miller were to go down, they're paper-thin behind Don't say it, Dino. Don't say no, don't me, say you don't, can't I, say Colton going down. That would be a big blow. That would be a huge, huge yeah. blow. You know, I mean, we need to get that short up. And I'm I'm going to put my trust, like I said, in this staff that they'll coach this line a lot better than Tom Cable and anything that Gruden did. Well, I'll tell you this much. Uh, again, talking to Josh McDaniels last week in Florida, um, boy, he was adamant. Like it, like again. He made it clear. Like, there's nothing solidified right now at all, and except for Colton Miller being the left tackle. But he didn't make it sound like anybody was guaranteed anything from, to, you know, uh, immediately to, to the right of Colton Miller. I think that Andre James is going to be the center, but you never know. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think Alex Leatherwood is going to be part of the solution somewhere, somehow, but you never know. And I think that that's what's really encouraging about this staff. I mean, first of all, of course, I think Raider Nation would rather have everything be solidified. That would be the ideal situation, but it isn't. And so short of that, aside from Colton Miller at left tackle, short of that, they are opening it up and they are putting a premium on guys learning across the board. You're going to see dudes playing on the left side. You're going to see guys playing on the right side. You're going to see guys playing uh, right tackle, left tackle, right guard, left guard. It's going to be a wild experiment, especially starting when they get out on the grass here pretty soon in a few weeks, where guys are going to be mix-matched all over the place. And one thing uh, McDaniel. 
had in Florida was like, you know, things happen in football. And we saw that last year, how everything kind of just blew up in the Raiders' face on the offensive line when Richie Incognito and Denzel Good went, you know, went down by the first half of the first game of the season. It just changed everything. And you have to account for that. You have to account for that possibility. You have to prepare for the worst case scenario. You hope it doesn't occur, but you prepare for it. And one of the ways to do that is you have everybody play alongside everybody and flip-flop you know, to the right of somebody, to the left of somebody. Because as Josh McDaniel said, we can't expect everyone to be able to feel comfortable if you don't put in the, in the, the, those players in that kind of a situation beforehand. And it's not just, hey, oh, uh, Colton, you're to my left. And Andre, you're to my right, or you know, uh, you know, uh, flip it, whatever, however, com- whatever combination you want to put on it. It's more than just knowing who's beside you. It's the communication. It's the line calls. It's being on the same page. It's being comfortable. It's all of those things. Um, and so, for that reason, you're going to see a whole lot of experimentation along the offensive line, and I think that could be a good thing. Real quick, we're going to go back out to the Realty One uh, caller line. Gangster Raider is on the line. How you doing, Gangster? What's happening, Vinny? Doing really well, man. It's good. Um, I want to say I think it's a good thing that the um, players are getting a clean slate, especially for Clee Fee, because I I don't think he was used right in the beginning uh, when he first got there on, the, on Gunther or whatever. And I think, you know, a new change of coaches or whatever scheme will benefit him. But also, I want to say that um, I feel that Jonathan Abram, he needs to um, earn that number 24 because Gruden just gave him that number 24. He hasn't lived up to it. So I think we should take the number back until he earns it. You understand what I'm saying? I hear you, but it's not going to happen. You're not going to embarrass him. This is a professional football. It's not college. It's not, you know, you're not. It's not. Yeah. yeah, You know what I'm saying? Like, that would be such Mm -hmm. a public embarrassment that. They're not going to do that, and um, and and I, I respect the number. I respect where you're coming from, but to do that, that would just seem like a unnecessary sort of slap in the face. It's it's professional football. I don't think you go down that road. Okay, I got a question okay. about the defense. Do you think that with the change of the scheme, that if um, they do convert Abram to linebacker and play less safety, that'll benefit him and the defense as a whole? Because I think so. If you bring him up and use him more as a linebacker instead of safety, so he won't have to cover as much. I think that'll play more to his skill and also benefit the defense, especially with the um, with the fungible, you know, fungibility of the scheme that um, the new coordinator is going to bring. What you think? Yeah, well, they they kind of did that last year. Um, he played primarily box safety, so he was really kind of a third linebacker uh, down there. Um, and what that ended up doing, and the statistics show this, he had a better season last year. Then he had the, you know, obviously the year before he didn't really play much the year before that. Uh, but because they were able to mitigate his weakness, which is in pass coverage, especially lined up deep in the secondary, uh, and just have him cover areas uh, in pass coverage and be able to be a run support guy and uh, also from time to time a blitzer. He settled down and had a pretty decent year. So I would, th- I, w- I don't think they need to necessarily move him to linebacker. I just think they need to, li- you know, continue to line him up uh, in that area, maybe as a joker type of a player. But at some point, he's going to have to cover. He's going to have to show he can cover. Um, and in this system, I don't know what they're going to be able. I don't know how they're going to be able to to, to do that because it's a too high safety sort of a look that they play. And does that mean he comes off the field in that situation, or is he just a third safety in that situation? We're going to have to see how it all plays out. But uh, just like for everybody else, there's an opportunity for Jonathan Abram uh, to get on solid ground with the staff, carve out a niche for himself, uh, and be an asset rather. Than- 
liability. And I thought last year he kind of turned the corner from being a liability to being an asset. You're in the ra- you're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Monday. Uh, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM in the huddle. Video Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Congratulations, by the way, to the University of South Carolina women's basketball team decisively beating Connecticut for the um, women's NCAA championship yesterday. I think it was in Minneapolis. Aliyah Boston, that's how you pronounce her first name, right, Devon? Get used to that name, by the way. Baller. Baller. Don Staley, congratulations. South Carolina becoming a new powerhouse. I like it. I like it. I like when things kind of, um, you know, jump. I mean, we need, I like parity. I think, I think especially women's basketball is getting so one-sided with Connecticut that it's, it's better for the sport when there's just a real opportunity for more teams uh, to win championships and nothing against what Connecticut was doing. Obviously they're just, it's a hall of fame uh, uh, program over there. But I'm glad that there's other programs now that are. And it just shows that there's more and more and more talent out there. Uh, from the grassroots, from the youth leagues to the high schools to the travel ball, um, there's just more women playing basketball and playing at an extremely high level. Uh, so congratulations uh, to the University of South Carolina for taking care of business and winning uh, the NCAA championship, which takes us to tonight. Kansas versus North Carolina. If you're Roy Williams, I mean, like, I, you're rooting for North Carolina, right? But there's got to be a soft spot for for Kansas. I mean, he won national championships at Kansas. Nah, he's a North Carolina guy. Well, yeah, definitely. Dean, Dean Smith, he had the pipeline to send his assistants because he wasn't giving up the seat at North Carolina. He had the pipeline of, okay, you can take the job at Kansas. Same thing happened with Larry Brown, Roy Williams. Or it's just, you know... The Carolina, like, hey, you can't get the Carolina job, so go spend a few years. At yeah, and I think, I think, I think, bottom line, he is rooting for for North Carolina. But there's got there, you know, you don't do what he did at Kansas and not have some, you know, still some allegiance to it. And uh, nope. it, it didn't it didn't end badly. It's just like, hey, my dream the job big seat opened was up. available. Yes, exactly. Uh, although, uh, you know, I'll say this: uh, it it doesn't always work out like that. Sometimes you you go create a seat for yourself someplace. Um, and we've seen that before too, but obviously for Roy Williams, um, you know the the his pedigree at the University of North Carolina brought him back. Uh, obviously, I got to ask this question though, and that's that's two blue uh, two blue bloods that are playing tonight. Uh, it doesn't get more college basketball royalty than North Carolina uh, and Kansas. But an interesting um, phenomena, I thought, uh, following the, the tournament and specifically following. Uh, Duke. I'm not a huge Duke fan. I've always respected the uh, the program, and obviously I respect Mike Shashevsky for what he's done, the longevity of it, uh, the brilliance of it. He was he built a tremendous program at Duke, but the hate that I sensed on social media, it's just like, are we to the point where we just don't like greatness and longevity? Like, like I felt like it got per- – it feels sometimes personal with uh, Duke and Coach K. So go ahead. 
Uh, yeah, Vinny. Um, I'm a North Carolina fan. I mentioned All this right. on Unnecessary Roughness. That's cool. You know, it used to be a re- like my fandom has waned a little bit. Yeah, but you, back in the that day, happens when you get older. As yes, it should, exactly. When yes. we, you know what I'm saying? Like, but when I was about 14, 15 yeah. years old, UNC all day. Mm-hmm. But for it's me, a beautiful thing. Duke, it's it's what they epitomize. It's the style of basketball that they used to play. The their star players for so long, unlikable guys. Christian Leitner went out of his way. How, Grant to Hill, be unlikable. But hey, you can say that you can have Mister Rogers on one end, but when you've got a guy who's going out of his way to be an a hole, the Mister Rogers guy who's the nicest guy in the world, he's going to get overshadowed. Uh, yeah. Who made the shot? Yes, Grant Hill threw the pass, but who made the shot? Yeah, the no, no, yeah. <laughs> so the nice guy who who threw the pass, who cares about him that much? Well, who, okay, who are there? What other hateable players were there? Hurley. At Duke? I, I, also I love Bobby Hurley. JJ Redick. Not. I not love JJ Redick. You know what was what was so hateable about him? The way they played. The way How he was they talking play? smack. It's it's that's everybody what talks smack. But that's what happens when you go to Duke. It's what they represented. Smacking the floor on defense. Like they're so <laughs> much better than you. And also that university. They refer to themselves. Just, uh, they uh, think of themselves as the Harvard of the South. Well, they are. Uh, it is a great university. Uh, Okay, but it's a private university where you if you're just if you're not going there on a scholarship, I'm so you okay. gotta go that you gotta have a little money. So you to hate go to their do. style so of it's play. Also, their fandom as well. Okay, it's everything that encompasses Duke. It's not just hey, this team has a good winning basketball program because as you, no one hates Alabama as much as they hate Duke. It, what in football? Yes. Uh, I feel like people there's Alabama there's, a, there's, there's an Alabama Al- fatigue. Yes, yes. But like if Nick Saban's last game, if they lose to Clemson or any team, like I, I say Clemson because there's a bit of a rivalry there. Yeah. But if Nick Saban loses the Dabo in right. his last game, it's not going to be the celebra- the celebration. Yeah. That it was with Coach K losing his last game. I and that's, that's what just I, yeah. the mystique that the team has built around them, and I do think you, that yeah, you is, usually hate what you can't beat. And that 90s you usually run, hate what you can't beat. That 90s run that they had, they went out of their way to be an unlikable team. I just think that that's it. Were they unlikable or unbeatable? No, they were definitely beatable. There have been so many teams like in this. That's another thing, too, where Who? the media Don't talk up. about the media. The they media earned it. They earned it. Teams. Jim Calhoun, basically up until his retirement, had an equal run to Coach K, won three national championships, but he's not so celebrated and lauded that much. From Roy Williams' run in North Carolina to Coach K's, Roy Williams had a better run. So if we're going to start from, I think it was 0304 when when Roy Williams took the Carolina job, let's say from Roy Williams at 0304 run to up until last year, had a better run than Coach K did in those years. I'd have to look at but the numbers. But he gets the adulation from the media. If you looked at the media coverage from this NCAA tournament, this was the Coach K tournament. Well, of course he was retiring. I mean, that was... And also a little bit of a look at me, Louie, to say, hey, I'm retiring. This is my last season. Just go out. You know, Bruce Arians didn't do a, a farewell tour. You can't he compare just, Bruce Arians He just, to, to, he just retired pick. one day. Listen, like, but when hey, I was younger, I that's how... I want the world tour. As, I want everyone to look at me and wave. Well, then you're going to say, go say that about there. Dr. J and career. I can name so many guys that went out like that on the retirement and to me i used to love it i used to be crying every night watching the ceremony in cleveland for dr j just getting all teary-eyed or whoever there's certain people that they've done it for so long and they get to a point where you know what this is going to be it for me and they get their roses while they're still alive by the way um and i think that that's a a, a great thing when you when also hypocrite coach k 
you know, why also talk like talk down a little bit on those teams in his you know snarky bit of a way about the one and done. You but just what did he don't do? like him. He went he went to that one and done system when he was getting well, his butt kicked, right? You know, from trying to use his yes. four year players. People change. I mean, you have to you have to adapt to the changing times. I mean, th- those were the rules that became the rules. He, I mean, it's not the worst thing to want guys to graduate. I mean, is that a bad thing? No, and he also I'm going to say this as well. I'm not saying this is the only reason he took it because he, you know, a graduate of West Point. So, you know, obviously he loves America. But he took the Team USA job to improve his recruiting connections. It's like, hey, man, I know LeBron, just, you know, like all these kids, like, hey, LeBron, I coach Team USA, all these connections. As usual. Don't you want to come to Duke? As usual, I'm going to defer to the great late, the late great Kobe Bryant, who pretty much begged Shashevsky uh, to be the head coach of the Lakers in 2004, and 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 Mike almost took it. It was the one job that he, he was. Want to grind. It was the one job, but so if if Kobe is a Coach K guy, consider me a Coach uh, K guy. I just like people that do it for a long period of time, did it at all levels, changed, adapted, uh, was the four year guy, and you know that's how you got your number up there. Then had to adapt to the changing times. Um, his offenses changed over the years. Uh, he adopted to more of the three-pointer, the fast pace, the slow pace, whatever. He's a great coach, and he helped restore, along with Coach Popovich, um, America's stature uh, in terms of the international uh, game. They helped that by convincing – you know, it, a lot of that was convincing guys to play. You know what I'm saying? Like, guys are like, nah, I don't want to play. But when you get certain people involved – and they, you know, that becomes sort of a magnet for them uh, as well. So thankfully, because we were getting a little embarrassed there for a little while. It was, you know, because and the frustrating part of Don't that. give it to Coach K, though. The, I, I love Coach Big, K. I'm saying Jerry Colangelo I, and Coach No Pop doubt Jerry Colangelo as well. more of a. Round of I think they all do. No, nah, not Coach K. They all do. His slice of the pie is Coach Popovich, Coach K, um, everybody that was involved, all the players for putting the you know uh, the, the the flag, uh, you know, and, and and going out there and, and restoring order because there is a little bit of pride as there as there should be. Um, and I just I love basketball anyway, and I love the international flavor of basketball. Um, and it just so I was just I was, I just was thinking to myself like. Yeah, I know that they've had some unlikable players. There's been a, a lot of teams that have had unlikable players, but uh, I just think that it's more a case where and their fans, people. Yeah, I just, but you wouldn't care if they were unlikable and not winning. That's the whole point. The key to the whole thing is they won, and they won a lot, and they were always relevant. And that p i s s e d people off. So you know what? I'm good with it. You earn your hate. That means that you're relevant. Um, so anyway, getting back really quick. If we do we have a minute, do we have a minute? We don't have a minute. When we get back, we'll explain how the off season works because it's always worth sort of a refresher course. Because even me, and I've been doing this a long time. I'm like, wait, what is? When does that thing start again? How does that work again? Uh, it's a little bit confusing. But we're going to break down what an off-season program looks like, why it looks like the way it does, um, and and how exciting it is that the Raiders are literally getting started kind of, uh, at least in conditioning and weight room type of work uh, next week, a week from today. It's pretty cool that we're that far into this calendar already, and it really just signals that time flies and a new season is almost upon us. Uh, I love it. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajado Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Monday. 
You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. I got John Grayson Allen. He was definitely a, uh, <laughs> and still is. Doesn't he play for your team? No, no. Where, where is he? Where is he now? Woo, he's in Milwaukee, I want to say. Yeah, they replaced uh, White Dante with Grayson Allen up in Milwaukee. With who? What Dante? Uh, Dante DiVincenzo. Oh, what did you just call him? White Dante. My paisan. I mean, By the way, I was. Dante, you know. I was uh, uh, Dante Fowler. Rush end for the uh, for the um, right Dante Fowler. Is but that is what you said? No, I said oh, that's why you got to call him White Dante. Dante's an Italian name. Yeah, Dante is. That's that's. There's, well, we took that one. <laughs> we, I, we both have it. Nobody took it from anybody. Dante. That's it. Yeah, that's definitely. Uh, it could go both ways. I guess is that what you're saying? But I know a lot of Italian Dantes, so that's why I was like, that, wait, you know. But um, yeah, Dante Difa. Uh, <laughs> that's why I was rooting for Duke, though, because of uh, my guy Paolo. He also is. You know, I'm Italian, so I'm gonna always oh, yeah, have Paolo a Paolo Bancaro not looking too good for him. Brady Manic was locking him up. I'm just saying. Brady Manning doesn't yeah, seem I like don't he's think... got pro prospects. Uh, but you were having trouble scoring against Brady Manning. It was this, there was a size Ooh. thing, and I think that um, I don't know. I think he's the top pick in the draft, and uh, ooh, he was there. Were, he had some special moments, that dude. So uh, anyway, uh, always great talking about college basketball. Who do you have tonight? You got, of course, North Carolina, right? Oh, of course. They're playing with house money. I looked at the ESPN like little prediction chart. Seventy percent chance of Kansas winning this game. And they Q, did look pretty good. And you also say he's like consolation wins don't mean anything, but hey, UNC is just, hey they've won already. Oh, I know. Co- you Coach can't K. be. Th- don't even let that thought in your head. Hubert Davis said if they can't get up for this game, like they shouldn't be playing for right, us. Right, right. I get it. Don't Hubert. do that. But hey, man, these kids have won already. This is a national championship beating. I had a question for you though. Um, I know Villanova had a star play. I didn't follow college basketball as religiously as I have in the past. So the kid from Villanova that got hurt in the um, Great Eight game was he their best player or was he among their best players? Did that loss really hurt them against um, Kansas? He was the second leading scorer. Oh, okay, yeah, wow. Because and you know what? From the get go, I know the score and everything like that obviously told the story, but Kansas just looked just on, especially defensively. They were not giving up anything to uh, to Villanova early on. But you know what? Villanova battled. I give them a lot of credit. That's a nice program now. I, I I like I like I have a couple friends that went to Villanova, so I'm always rooting for them, uh, you know, hoping that they win. But uh, Kansas, to me, looked like the best team of since the Sweet 16. I would say they look like the best team. So my money is on them, but I want North Carolina to win uh, as well. I've always been a Chapel Hill kind of a guy. So anyway, we're getting to uh, OTAs. OTAs started, or the offseason program, I should say, started for a few teams uh, already, the Bears and Dolphins among them. Um, but I know a lot of people ask, like, what is it? What's the offseason program? How does it all play out? And uh, we've got some answers for you. Uh, and this all goes, everything that it, everyone, fans just need to understand that everything that happens in the NFL and all other sports too is the result of a collectively bargained agreement between the players and the owners. And why does this fall into it? Because if you're a player and your team just says, or the team just say, we need you here for this amount of time, you know, from April through training camp, they could, if they wanted to, 
if you didn't have a union to say, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how that works. Our guys deserve uh, some time off. So it's all collectively bargained right on down to how many times uh, the players have to be in the building for official type stuff. Now, having said that, the building is basically open year-round. If you want to be able to go in as a player to work out, to check in with your strength and conditioning coach, to rehab, um, it's all available. So there's – and the Raiders, trust me, just talking to uh, McDaniels and Ziegler, there's been a great um, attendance as far as players just taking advantage of the great facility over there in Henderson uh, above and beyond and before – what they're going to start doing uh, next week. So anyway, phase one started today for the Bears and Dolphins. Uh, next week, the the, uh, the Raiders will get started on phase one. And what that consists of, uh, it's the first two weeks of the program uh, with activities limited to meetings, strength and conditioning, and physical rehabilitation only. So there's no nobody's throwing footballs around with coaches anyway. You can get out there and throw the ball around, uh, I believe, uh, you know, amongst yourselves. But there's nothing official in terms of uh, putting offenses in or running plays or anything like that. So first two weeks basically is some meetings and a lot of strength and conditioning, getting out there, running, getting into the weight room uh, and lifting in an organized sort of a way. Phase two. Uh, it covers the next three weeks of the program, and that becomes on-field workouts uh, may include individual or group instruction and drills, as well as perfect play drills uh, and drills and plays with offensive players lining up across from offensive players and defensive players lining up across from defensive players conducted at a walk-through pace. No running, no full, per- no full go, any of that stuff. It's a walk-through pace. But the offensive players have to be squaring up against offensive players and defensive players against defensive players. You don't get to 11-on-11 until further down uh, the road uh, of the offseason program. No live contact or team offense versus team drills are permitted. Phase three consists of the next four weeks of the program. Teams may conduct a total of 10 days of organized team practice activities. Those are the OTAs. No live contact is permitted but seven on seven, nine on seven, and eleven on eleven drills are permitted. That's your offense versus your defense. Uh, our Article twenty-two of the collective bargaining agreement stipulates that clubs may hold one mandatory minicamp for veteran players. The minicamp must occur during phase three of the off-season program, um, and then there's also voluntary veteran minicamp. Um, and then the rookie minicamp. And I think the rookie program starts almost immediately after the draft. So once the Raiders finish up their draft and every other NFL team finishes up the uh, the draft, there's a rookie program where guys are coming in and just learning from A to Z what it's like to be a professional player. And there's all sorts of different things that they uh, that they go through. Um, the undrafted free agents, uh, the uh, uh, draft picks, they all get together and uh, start their program. So that's what it is. And it all starts next week. But don't expect much activity next week other than uh, the working out in the weight room and uh, getting out there and doing uh, conditioning uh, drills. So, Damon. If you're an NFL player right now and you know that it's a week out from all the strength and conditioning, and when we say conditioning, we know what we're talking about, right? Running. Running? <laughs> Getting in the, the shape fear. like all the running in the world? I know. Like, at what point do you scale it down? Like, everyone deserves to have some fun. Everyone deserves to let loose. But, um, like, when you played basketball, let's say, and you played football, right? Yes. Okay. Um, 
you knew that something was coming and you knew I got to start getting ready. I got to start getting ready because the last thing you want to do is be out there, not ready. And I think this is what happened with David Irving, by the way. But also he for was these like players puking. now, <laughs> Go when, it, when, the, when the league has become a 12-month year-round sport, I'd say middle of March, you should like be calling up maybe your off-season trainer and just say, like, all right, it's time to get to work. Middle of March. Yeah, because, I mean, you want to like, take some like time to like relax and yeah. take some time off. And, I, you know, when you say uh, 12-month-a-year endeavor, um, what's that, what that is indicative of is the money that's now involved, too. Because back in the day... There wasn't enough money. You, 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 what you played for didn't allow you just to be able to devote all your time in the offseason to working out and stuff. You had to, like, go sell cars in the offseason, you know, uh, whatever sport you played. It didn't sustain you year-round. You had to, like, get a job during the offseason. Now, when you say it's a 12-month deal, it's because there's enough money where it sustains you for a year if you handle your money correctly so that you can devote your offseason to, a, to having fun and rest and recuperating and whatever injury you may have gotten an operation for and rehab and all that. Um, but but B, also just staying in shape and working on your game. Um, and so it allows you uh, to do that. And that's why you see guys, when it gets to training camp now, there's no getting into shape other than maybe some football shape, but you're already in shape by the time training camp uh, rolls around. But it's just an exciting time to know that the calendar is ticking. The clock is ticking. The calendar just keeps flipping over, and we're literally into the first phase of uh, the offseason program across the NFL, and it's just it's awesome. Uh, can't wait. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Monday. 